1 John chapter 5. I think it was last week that we uh, turned the corner, if you will, into 1 John chapter 5, this last chapter of 1 John. We've been looking together at 1 John for a number of, well, I guess probably for months now, and we have been noticing together that through the book of 1 John, God is helping us to understand His promise to us, that God has promised us that we can have a life walking in light and in love. God wants you to understand, each and every one of you to understand, that you can have a life walking in light and in love. It's, it's important that you realize that, um, that God is not interested in you getting through the week. That God is not interested in you limping through life. He wants you to have a, a, a joyful and purposeful life in fellowship with Him and being conformed to the image of Christ and being changed by His power. Go back again. We'll just go back. I don't, we're not going to go through all the, all the way, but I just want to go back to chapter 1 for just a moment. I want you to see this again. I want you to recognize I'm going to skip verses uh, 1 and 2. If you want to understand verses 1 and 2, you can read them. You can go back and read John chapter 1, the first chapter, and you'll, the first uh, half of that chapter at least, you'll really enter into the fact that what's being said here. Next week we're going to draw more attention to this because it really matters to us that we realize that what God is saying here is that the eternal God came into time. He became flesh, genuine, real humanity, and dwelt among us so that he could make manifest to us who God is, that he could live a perfect life that nobody else has ever lived, that he could lay down that life, that he could shed his blood, that he could pay for our sins, that he would be resurrected from the dead because he triumphs over the grave, because he has nothing that can keep him there, and that he wants us to enter into these things. So that's what's being said. In verse 3 it says, that which we have seen, it's that which they had seen and heard. So they're speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ himself when they say in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That ye, and the the ye is plural here, that you all, y'all here in the South, y'all also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. It is God's desire. It is the desire of the apostles. It is the burden of their heart that we would have fellowship together, that we would have fellowship together and that that fellowship would be with Christ, that it would be with God the Father, God the Son, that it would be in the Spirit of God, that that's that's what he wants for us. That's what God wants for us. That's what this is about. Again, we don't have time to go through all of it. I really want to focus specifically on part of what comes to us in 1 John chapter 5 this morning. Uh, John James read earlier, chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to read them again because he did already read them, but I do want you to understand um, there's a little bit of an outline. I want us to look uh, together at the first three points of the outline this morning, but it's not. we're not going to be here long this morning. And it's not because... Um, I'm in a hurry. It's not because I have someplace else that I have to be. Um, I really want to spend a great deal of time, I believe, next week focusing on the second point of this outline. The second, if you outline this chapter into the five uh, parts that are in this chapter, 
Next week, I want to zoom in on the second part. Last week, we looked largely at the first, but this week, I want to introduce the third because I want you to understand uh, just how significant it is uh, what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives. So in verses uh, 1 through 5, let me just read them, verses 1 through 5. Whoso believe, whosoever, whosoever. By the way, I don't have time to go into this a great deal. But uh, if you weren't able to be in this room for Sunday school class this morning because you were in another room or you weren't able to be here this morning, uh, you could have been here this morning, by the way, because we were an hour earlier by clock. So everybody, almost by accident, you could have showed up if you wanted to. And, um, but you should go online and watch the Sunday school uh, class this morning. It was a tremendous blessing. And that's not to say that it isn't every week. It really is every week. It is really a tremendous blessing as uh, John is uh, preaching through, teaching through uh, the Gospel of Mark. But this morning, there was much in it, much in it that, that uh, was just really wonderful. But whosoever came up in it, and that's what made me think of it as I was just looking at whosoever in verse 5. Many whosoever's in our Bible. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you believe that Jesus is the anointed one, if this, again, please look up here. I'm not talking about a doctrinal position. If your life makes it clear, that you believe, that you know that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is who he says he is, and it has changed your life, it's because you're born of God. It isn't about being religious. The world is full of religious people. God has no interest in you being a religious person. God wants you to have a relationship with him. That's, what God, that's the desire of God. And if you are born of God then you will know, you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus of Nazareth is the one who has come to save us all. And your life will reflect that. If I were to talk with you, if I were to spend time with you, if we were to spend much time together, it would become apparent to me over an extended period of time, this person, their life has been changed because Jesus is the Christ. They are a new creature. They care about different things than they did before. They care about different things than this world cares about. And it's because of who Jesus is. And Jesus has made this difference in their life. So this is saying, whosoever believeth, if this is true of you, it's because you're born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, if you are a new creature that loves God, then you will also love those that have been begotten of him. In other words, you'll love each other. Now, this can't be overstated. Um, the, the, what's missing in America, what's missing in America has been for quite a while, but it's very evident right now what's missing in America is love. Not the idea of love, the practice of love. The selfless act of putting others before ourselves. It's missing in our leaders. It's missing in our businesses. It's missing in our neighborhoods. It's missing in our schools. It's missing in our churches. It's missing. And the only way for this to take place is by the power of God in those of us that are new creatures. In other words, it is not humanly possible to love as the Bible is talking about loving but it is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all I can say. Would you have that? Do you have that? 
Again, recognizing that 1 John is written toward the end of our Bible, it's in the end of our Bible on purpose. The reason that it's here is to find out, do you really have what you say you have? Are you really a new creature? If you really are a new creature, these things will be true in your life. Now, by the way, stop. I really want you to understand this. If you're not, if you've been playing church, if you have been pretending, if you did something when you were a child because somebody convinced you you should do something when you were a child, but it has no power in your life, don't stay that way. Because God will rescue you. You say, well, I've done it poorly, I've done it wrong, or I failed, whatever it is. That, yes, we all have. And God will rescue you from that. And he wants you to understand that. Verse 3 says this. Well, verse, let's look at verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Now, here's what we've realized is this. The first point in, in this chapter is that trusting God is, is overcoming faith. Trusting God is our overcoming or victorious faith. We sing a hymn, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And it comes from this passage. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Now, listen, it's a wonderful sentiment. It's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful truth. But how does this happen? And this is what it's saying. If you trust God, if you trust God at his word, it'll overcome the world in your life. What will overcome the world in your life? What will overcome the world in your presence? And the answer is trusting God. Nothing else will. What can conquer fear, um, selfishness, um, dishonesty? What can conquer all of these things? And the answer is just trusting God. God is able to overcome these things. You trust him, he will make the difference. For this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep his commandments. And that his commandments are not grievous. Oh, boy, I tell you. You've met them, right? I hope you're not one of them. I really do. And I don't mean this to be unkind. I have met a number of people who have a, how would you say this, a modified behavior, what we would call a church-level behavior. But they have no peace. They have no joy. They don't have love in their own hearts, and they're incapable of truly, selflessly, continually loving others. You want to know why? Because they're not new creatures. Because they're not new creatures. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. In other words, if you have to behave yourself a certain way in order to win favor with God and you don't like that way, then you're probably not a new creature. Do you understand? If doing the right thing is bothersome to you, then you're probably not a new creature. Now listen, I'm not saying that you'll be perfect. None of us are perfect. But I know this. I know this. The Bible makes it very clear, and, and you can see it in the lives that, of those that are new creatures, that when you are born again, you delight in the law of God after the inward man. It makes you happy. It makes you joyful. You want to do what God wants you to do. In other words, I don't go to church to please God. I go to church because God loves me and I want to be around those that God loves. I just want to be together with my brothers and sisters. I want to grow in grace. I want to spend this time together. That's why I've come. I have not come to earn anything with God. Please don't go to church to earn anything with God. Don't. And if that's why you're going to church, repent of that. 
and say, God, so rescue me that I would understand that I would understand your love to such a degree that I would desire to live the way you want me to live. And that's the way our Lord Jesus lived. And that's the way those of us that are born again, that's the desire of our heart. That's the way we live. That's why we live the way we live. Now, let's go a little bit. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But it overcomes the world in that we have no desire to live the way the world lives. We have a strong desire instead to live the way God would have us to live. Again, not behaving in a different pattern, literally because I'm a new creature and I desire to live differently than I have been living because God has made a difference in my life. Now, when you go from this to verse 6, he's going to talk about the, the faith, our, what our faith is in. This is he, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is he. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We are going to spend a lot of time on this passage next week. But I want to go through this passage because I want you to see what's on the other side of it. And then we're going to go back next week and focus on it. This is he, speaking of our Lord Jesus, that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, and we do receive the witness of men, right? The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Now what I want you to notice is that in verse 9, what he's saying is everything that came in verses 6, 7, and 8 go together and God wants us to understand that the witness in heaven, the three that bear witness in heaven, and the three that bear witness on earth, they are really one witness. They are one that witness together. And what God wants us to understand in this second part is trusting God. We trust God because of the testifying witnesses. In other words, we're not, uh, this is hard. I, I know I say this a lot. I really want you to understand this. There's a phrase, and, I, and we hear, I hear it all the time that you've got to have faith, got to have faith. People that are completely without any understanding of who Jesus is will make that statement. You've got to have faith. And this is what my question is to those people. Faith in what? Faith in what? What are you actually trusting in? What are you trusting in? See, listen, God says he wants you to trust him, but he doesn't want you to trust him ambiguously. He does not want you to trust him nebulously, blindly. He wants you to trust him or believe him at his word. God wants you to hear what he says and to believe what he says. God is trustworthy. He's worthy of your trust. And what he says is, I want you to hear what I say, and I want you to believe me at what I say. God is not really interested in you believing me at what I say. God is interested in you believing him 
at what he says. Do you understand? That's what this is saying. God is the one that is bearing witness. It is the Holy Ghost that testifies. We're going to see later on in this chapter, we're going to spend time studying this. We're going to talk about sin unto death. There is sin. There is sin unto death. There are things that we could do that may cause us to have to leave this earth early, if you understand what I'm saying. And the Bible talks about what that means, and and there are places in the Bible that talks about what can be forgiven and what can't be forgiven. And the one thing that can't be forgiven is to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit. And you want to know why that's the case? Because the Holy Spirit says Jesus is the Christ. Jesus can pay for your sins. Jesus can rescue you from you. And if you reject that witness, there's nothing that can be done for you. It isn't that God doesn't want to forgive you. If you reject the witness of the Holy Spirit saying who Jesus is, then what is there for you? There's no other way to be saved. Only through the blood of Christ can you receive the forgiveness of sins. And if you reject the witness of the Holy Spirit as it uses the word of God to show you the truth and you say no to that, then what's left? And the answer is you standing in your own righteousness in front of God. And boy, that's going to be terrible. So don't stand in your own righteousness before God. Believe what God says. Believe what the Holy Spirit testifies from the word of God in your life. And that's what he's going to say to you. Now, I want you to look at what it says um, in verse 10. And this is really just a couple of minutes. I want you to see this. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him, God, a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. In other words, the testimony that God gave of his son in heaven, as they agree in one, and in earth, specifically through the water and the blood. And we'll talk about what those are in detail next week. But God has given this record that makes it clear. Jesus at one point says, listen, if you don't believe me for what I'm saying, believe the works that I'm doing. Recognize that I'm simply doing what God the Father has given me to do. And he's given me to do these things so that you might trust me. That's what he's saying. Jesus says, trust him. That's what he's saying. And he says, trust me because of what I say or trust me because of what I can do or trust me for both of them. But trust me. Trust me. I am proving over and over and over again that I am the Messiah, that I am the Christ, that I am the one who can rescue you. That's what God wants you to have. And what he says in verse 10 is this. He that believeth on the Son of God hath, now I want you to underline this, hath the witness in himself hath the witness in himself. In other words, if you are a new creature, then the witness is in you. You say, preacher, what do you mean the witness is in me? And this is what I mean by this. It's it's a twofold answer, but this is what I mean. One, the witness, and it's the spirit that beareth witness, right? The witness is in you. And what does that mean? Well, the Holy Ghost is in you. The reason, listen, the reason that I believe that Jesus is the Christ is because God has put his spirit within me, and I know it. There's a, there's a, a hymn that we sing, you ask me how I know he lives, and, and what's, the, how, what, what's the answer? He lives within my heart. And for many people, that's just a nice idea. But if, but if, you're, really a, if you're really born again, it's not a nice idea. It's the truth. He lives within my heart. It's the inward man. 
I now am a new creature. Everything has been changed, and I know everything's been changed. And you ask me how I know, and the answer is, I know because God lives in me. He has changed me inside, and the inside has changed my outside. You see the change on the outside, but God has made a change on the inside. And those that trust God, those that believe God, have the witness in himself. Now, leave your ribbon here and go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Oh, this is so important. Acts chapter 1. The former treaties. The, the, what I wrote before, basically. What I wrote before, which was uh, the Gospel of Luke. What I wrote before, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. I've underlined with two underlines in my Bible, began. Because it's really important that you understand that the book of Acts is what he's continuing to do. What Jesus began to do are in the Gospels. What Jesus is doing now is in the book of Acts. Okay, Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he threw the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after his resurrection, spent a great deal of time with his disciples, proving that he was indeed resurrected from the dead, and, in verse 4 says, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. This is a critically important thing to understand. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to go, I'm going to take the blood into the Holy of Holies, and after, after the blood has been applied, I'm going to send forth the Holy Spirit and he's going to enter into you because that is the promise of God. That is the promise of God from the Old Testament, not from the New Testament. The New Testament is the working out of the promise in the Old Testament. What God says in the Old Testament is this, you fail because your hearts fail. That's why you fail. And God says, but I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. And Christ has come to pay for our sins, to take away the offense that God could make us new creatures and come and live inside us and make all things new. And that's what's happened. That's what he's saying. You're, this is what's going to happen. And let's, 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 now what's funny is, look, I, I say funny. What is just like us is notice. Now these are the disciples. These are the disciples with the post-resurrected Christ. And notice where their focus is. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? So what is their focus? Their focus, listen, listen, their focus is still a fleshly, earth-centric kingdom. That's what they want. Our, now, Lord, we know that you're the Christ. We know that you're the one that has come to rescue us. Are you going to make us great again in the world? Is it time for us to be great again in the world? They do not understand. Notice what he has just said to them. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized of the, with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Are you going to make us great again? Are we going to be the most powerful nation on the planet? Is that what's going to happen? And it's like, that's not what I said. 
That's not what I said. That's not what's going to happen. That's not why I've come. Israel mistakenly believed that Christ was coming to set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, if you understand what I'm saying, that he was going to make them great among the nations again. But Christ came to set them free. Christ came to make them new creatures. He came to rescue them. Come back tonight. We're going to look at Romans chapter 11. It just happens to be where we are in our study of the book of Romans. It very much goes in with, it goes in with what we're looking at right now. What they don't understand, remember when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, he says to the woman at the well, she says, Messiah is going to come. We think, we think we're supposed to worship here. You Hebrews say we're supposed to worship there. And Jesus says, what does he say to her? The hour is coming and now is, right? When it won't be here and it won't be there. Those that worship God will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Listen, listen, please hear me. Because it's not about a place. It's not about a place. It's about being a new creature. It's about being one with God. I and him and him and me. Us being together, right? What is the beginning of the book that we just looked at? Their fellowship, their fellowship, the apostles' fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. They are with him. He is with them. They want us to know this is what God wants for all of us. What God wants for all of us is to have combined fellowship together, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ with God living in us and changing us. Now, go to verse number um, 8. Jesus is answering their question. You want to see the whole answer, we'll start in verse 7. He said unto them, it is not for you, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. That's exousia, authority. But you shall receive power, different word, it's dunamis, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So what is he saying? This is really important. This goes with what we're seeing in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10, where it says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. This is what God is saying. The Holy Ghost is going to come, and he's going to change everything. Now, I, I know I've said this a lot, and I'm not going to stop saying it, because unfortunately we live in an age where there's a great deal of abuse of what the power of the Holy Ghost is. There's, there are entire buildings today that are filled with people that are doing things like bopping people on the forehead and breathing on them and doing these really weird, strange things. And that is not the power of the Holy Ghost. That is not what it is. We're going to look at what, what it is. We're going to look at what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're going to look at what it means to be changed, to have the power that's being spoken of here. And what it means is this, to have the witness living in you, changing you to such a degree that the people around you see that witness in you. Do you understand? What is the difference between those that are really new creatures and those that go to church? And the answer is the Holy Ghost living within them. That he's really changed us. We're not playing church. We didn't join a club. We are new creatures. We, in fact, there's nothing that can be done to change that. We are now new creatures. We will always be new creatures. And praise God for that. You can't lose it is the point that I'm making. We are new creatures. We know that we're new creatures. We don't understand everything about it. We certainly don't know how to behave ourselves as the new creatures that we are often. But we are new creatures, praise God. And he wants us to understand Ye shall receive, I want you to see the word power. This word dunamis is so important, it's dynamite, right? The idea is a, a, a ongoing, tremendous, 
power will be in your life after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, what I want you to notice is starting in Acts chapter 2, when this takes takes place called Pentecost, right? But when this takes place, there is such a change in Peter and in John and in James and in all of the disciples that the whole world marvels at what's gone on in their lives. There's, listen, to this point, there's nothing really marvelous about the disciples. Nothing, nothing, other than they spend time with Jesus. That's the only thing remarkable about them is they spent time with Jesus. Their behavior is not remarkable. Jesus says to them at the Last Supper, John talked about it this morning, one of you is going to, one of you is going to deny me. And none of them were sure that it wasn't them. None of them were sure that it wasn't them. They did not know who it was that was going to deny him because every one of them felt capable of being the one. And by the way, John did a wonderful job of pointing out this demonstrates how great Jesus' love for Judas was. The disciples did not see any difference in the way he treated Judas than the way he treated everybody else. And I promise you, if you knew, if you knew that I was going to do to you something as significant as what Judas did to Jesus, you would treat me differently. You might try not to, but you wouldn't be able to not. But Christ loved Judas as much as he loved anybody in the world. That's amazing to me. Knowing that Judas Judas was going to choose to betray him, he loved him as much as he loves everybody else. That's an amazing thing to me. And this is the, this, it's that spirit. It is the spirit of God that lives in you and I. That's why he says, that's why we spent so much time seeing in the rest of 1 John, if he so loved us, we ought to what? So love each other. If Jesus can love us like that, can we love each other like that? And the answer is yes, if he lives in us, right? That's the power. The power is I will so change you that people will see you and say, I know you. This is not you. And your testimony will be, you're right, it's not me. It's not. Jesus has done this. Jesus has made this difference in my life. Jesus, by his own power, has made this difference in my life. God lives in me. And that sounds like a really weird statement. I, I, I testify that I recognize that as I remember after I was born again talking to my roommates about what had happened in my life. And I was listening with their ears. I, at one point when I was having a discussion with them, I listened to what I was saying out loud with their ears and I thought, man, I'm crazy. Right? They got to believe that I'm crazy. Yes? Right? I mean, you're talking about the almighty God living within you. Right? And, 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 and they're like, there's no doubt that you're different. There's no doubt that something has happened, but you can't really believe that God lives in you. And it's like, I do believe that God lives in me. And here's the thing. I can't prove it to you, but I know that he lives in me, right? As the, it's just like the hymn says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He is here. He has changed everything. What I desire now, I never desired before. What I want now, I never wanted before. Praise God for that. That's the witness that we have in ourselves. What God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to so work in your life and in my life that as we grow, we recognize that I'm not the one growing me. God is the one growing me. God is the one changing me. He gets all of the credit as I'm changed. When I don't change, it's my fault. And it is your fault. When you, if you walk after your flesh instead of after the spirit, you will behave yourself like you always behave yourself. And that's not attractive at all, is it? Are you, are you willing to be honest about that and say, me, 
left to myself is still terrible. But I'm thankful that I'm not left to myself anymore. Sometimes I wonder, I really do, I wonder sometimes when there's, when there's no um, quote-unquote wrestling with sin in the life of someone that goes to church, if they're really a new creature. If they're just walking a, a, a playful life, not realizing that the power of God is not to sustain a good front every Sunday morning, but to really be a new creature. This is what he's saying. You shall receive power. And what, we, what do we see in the book of Acts? I'm sorry, I am. I'm really truly sorry that there is such a misrepresentation to what the power of the Holy Ghost is. But the true power of the Holy Ghost, um, let's say it this way. Jesus tells us in Matthew, I believe it is, he says, you shall know them by their, by their fruits. You shall know them by their fruits. We're going to be done. Go to Galatians chapter 5. I want to put this in front of you, and we'll be finished for today. I really want you to understand what it is that God is uh, showing us. Galatians chapter 5. And I know we go here an awful lot, but we go here an awful lot because I want you to understand that what God is saying about having the witness in him, the, those of us that are really new creatures have the witness in us. This is what it looks like. This is, now, all I need you to do is be honest. All you need to do is be honest about this, okay? Let's look at verse 22. Okay, you shall know them by their what? Okay, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, let's, does anybody want to talk about fruit for a minute? Anybody like fruit? Raise your hand if you like fruit. Raise your hand if you like vegetables. Wow, everybody raise your hand for vegetables. Raise your hand if you like green beans. Green beans. Yeah, yeah. Some green beans. I like oh, southern green beans. Does that mean bacon? Yeah, amen. <laughs> Pretty much anything's good if you put bacon on it, amen? Collards. You can even eat collards if you put enough bacon on it, amen? We won't go beyond that. No, no reason to offend everybody this morning. <clears throat> if you believe you can make collards that are worth eating, take a shot at it. I'd be glad to try them, amen? To this point, and, and I've had some people that make tremendous collards, if I understand. The idea of tremendous collards is like an oxymoron as far as I'm concerned. Really, honestly, it might be, you know, I can, I can mow the lawn and, and feed it to you and it'll be delicious. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's basically what you're saying. But I want to talk about fruit for a minute. So we have trees out here. Uh, I don't know if there are any fruit-bearing trees out here. If there were fruit-bearing trees out here, how would we know? Anybody want to tell me how we know? Jim, how would we know if there are fruit-bearing trees out here? There'd be fruit on them. At least sometime there'd be fruit on them, right? You understand? Yes? Anybody have those trees that have those uh, gumballs on them? Anybody have those trees? Yeah. We don't call those fruit-bearing trees, do we? Amen? They are not fruit-bearing trees, right? They are gumball-bearing trees, and they are, might be part of the curse, as far as I can tell, right? And if you ever walked in your yard without shoes on and stepped on one, you know exactly why I'm saying that. Fruit is recognizable. I grew up in Vermont. One of the things that, uh, that they're scattered throughout all of Vermont are apple, wild apple orchards. They're just everywhere in Vermont. It's what makes hunting in Vermont good, because deers like apples, and there are a lot of apples to eat. If you walk through an apple orchard, you can tell you're in an apple orchard. Jim, again, how can I tell I'm in an apple orchard? Apples on the trees, right? Now, you, I know that sounds really almost comical, right? The fruit of the Spirit is the same thing. You shall know them by the fruit. If I'm walking through, if I'm walking through pine trees, there are no apples on the pine trees. 
If I'm walking through an apple orchard, there are no pears on the apple trees. Do you understand? You shall know what they are. What kind of tree is this? Apparently, it's an apple tree, right? What makes you say that? Because this is an apple. Do you understand? Yes, yes. Y'all recognize that. This is critically important that you understand this. Those of us that trust that Jesus is the Christ, we have the witness in us. If you have the witness in you, then the witness, which is the Spirit of God, right, will bear fruit in your life. So how can I know if you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? And the answer is, I will see the fruit of that in your life. And you say, well, what does the fruit look like? Ah, let's look. Verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is slaying people in the Spirit. It's bopping them on the forehead. It's rolling around on the floor. It's speaking strange gibberish that nobody understands. It doesn't say any of that because that's not the fruit of the Spirit. You understand? And listen, I know it sounds like I'm being unkind. It is, it is wrong to misrepresent what the Spirit of God looks like inside somebody. What God is really doing in us is this. And if you have this happening in you, it's because you're a new creature. You can't make this fruit. It's the fruit of the... Right. Grow an apple for me. Right? Hold out your arm and grow an apple. You want to know why? You can't do that because you're not an apple tree. And you can't bring forth that fruit. You want to know what I can bring forth? Go up a little bit further. Verse 19. Here's what all of us can bring forth. Now the works of the flesh, this I can bring forth. This you can bring forth. This, before I was ever born again, I could bring these things forth in my life. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveling, and the such like. Yeah, we can all do that. You want to know why? Because Adam's really good at that, right? My flesh is really good at that. But you want to know what I can't do in my flesh? Go down to verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh, the verse of up there, with the affections and the lust. If we live in the Spirit, meaning if we really are new creatures, which is what we're looking at in 1 John chapter 5, if we live in the Spirit, meaning if we are alive in the Spirit, if we are new creatures, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The only way we are to provoke one another is to provoke one another unto love and good works. That's what God wants to accomplish in our hearts. Amen? Now, listen, it's time to be done. Those, if you're a new creature, if you're born again this morning, it is, it is, your, it is your only desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's it. That's all I want. I want, I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. I know that I am like the, the list above here. I am like that left to myself. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like this instead. And those of us that trust Christ have the witness living in us, and he is the one making the difference. 
There are two things, and we'll go back and look at it again next week. There are two things that are going on in 1 John chapter 5. One is this, that the desire of our hearts is to live according to what God wants. The commandments of God, we desire them. Two, we'll love each other. In other words, I will grow and I will want you to grow. I will not find fault with you in how you're not growing. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in comparing how poorly you're doing with how great I'm doing. That's list. That's in the list up here. That's a fleshly thing. Desiring to do better than others is not godly. Desiring good for everybody around you, that's godly. This is what God is wanting to accomplish. And this is what the children of God need. This is what America needs. This is what the world needs. What the world needs is the, is, the, is, the, is the difference that only the Holy Ghost living in us can make. Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that your word is all by itself quick and powerful. It is alive and it is capable of accomplishing what it is that you want to accomplish in every one of our hearts. I thank you for what you've shown us again this morning. I thank you that you make it very, very clear that it is you making the difference in us. If we trust you, if we believe you and allow you, you will make the difference. And Lord, we want you to make the difference. Thank you for giving us this time together this morning. Lord, thank you for blessing us. Please, Lord, continue to minister to us, each and every one of us, our brothers and sisters and all of those around us. Lord, help us that we would walk with you as you'd have us to, that we might be useful in your hands. We thank you. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.